0: Hello, and welcome to Sunday's at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock preaches a sermon titled Approaching God from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Grace is the gift of unconditional acceptance from a giver under no obligation. You are never too much or too little, never undeserving to approach God. He yearns to hear, guide, and bless you with grace and undeserved gifts. Our Christ, our Savior, enters our pain shares our suffering and rescues us at his own cost. God extends grace to those in desperate need, leaving us with love, unity, connection, and hope. Whether you've felt disqualified, strive to be good, or sense distance from God, know that you're already qualified, enough, and near. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church.
1: I'm so glad you guys are here for all of you new visitors. It is so courageous to come to church for a first time. So if you're brand new, welcome, we're so glad. And for all of you who've been here for longer than 10 minutes, uh, which is like over half of, let me say it this way. Uh, Three quarters of us sitting in this room have been here less than a year and a half. Um, So when you look around, just know that uh, barely anybody knows each other. So uh, we're all new visitors together, amen? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. We believe in three things at this church, and our church has a vision. We are led by a vision. All the money that we spend, all the things that we do are are guided by these three principles. Number one, there is always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. I don't care where you've been, what's happened. I mean, I care about where you've been. I care about what's (laughs) happened to you. It's true. But none of that is a disqualifier for you to be here. All of it, every single part of your story, God says, that's mine. You're mine. There is always hope beyond our brokenness. Amen? Amen. Second, we are called to trust in our risen Savior, Uh, not perform, not pretend, not to put on a mask. We'll be talking about that today. But to trust in our risen Savior, that's what faith is. It's saying, God, I, I'm on this roller coaster ride, and I trust that you have good things for me. And guess what? None of us know how to do that, zero. None of us was born innately with that ability. All of us learn that, and we learn that together, okay? So that's what the body of Christ is before. For those of us who've learned over years to trust Jesus, and we can help each other along. And then every single one of us, no matter how long we've been coming to church, have known God, there's that next thing that we get to trust Him with, and that next thing always feels just as like, oh, my gosh, is the last thing. But then we look at the last thing we trusted God with, and we went, hey, how'd the song go? No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And we remember and step out in faith again. And lastly, lastly, we get to bring restoration, and I just love it. You heard Ron's stories, and we get to hear Gail's story in the second service, but our restoration goes beyond that. You heard a couple of weeks ago about how we went to Turkey. Now we're going to send Kelly to, to Kenya, uh, you know, and it, it continues. Can I just say something about where we are as a church real quick? Yeah, sure. Financially. You'll hear more about this next week. Um, Rob, our minister of, um, we call him the Chronicler of Miracles. That is literally his job description title, like on paper. Um, and then Johanna, our bookkeeper, is the second Chronicler of Miracles. So they're first and second Chronicles. Anyways, um, <laughs> we don't do regular job titles here. Uh, but he, him and I, uh, he, he and, and our, uh, our Dale White, who goes to our church, they're going to create uh, or show you kind of where we are next week. But I got a preview this week, and I was just floored. I was floored for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, we're right where we've always been, which is in the fall where everybody's a little bit behind. That's just normal. And then the church makes up for it. But we're on track this year to give away over $200,000 to people that don't go to this church. I shouldn't say this. I should say... The people inside and outside of our church, but we're in track to give away $200,000. Now, I I am friends with other pastors in the area, and I love all all the other pastors in the area, but I know that for a lot of other churches, they would spend the $200,000 on making their facilities nicer or giving raises or whatever. And I just want you to know that I am so grateful for the priorities of our elders, their heart, of our church, that when you give money to give away, ain't nobody takes that money and goes and spends it on carpet cleaning solution or, you know, Andy needs a new Maserati or something <laughs> like that. I, mean, I drive a Kia and that's the way it is, right? That's cool, I'm happy, I'm happy, right? So I want you to know that we, you guys are so generous and you're giving so much and for a church our size, we are having an impact that is far beyond anything that I've ever understood. So I appreciate you, and I love you. And for all you watching online, you're so generous as well. Thank you. I love you. Um, So each one of these truths that, that there's always hope beyond our brokenness, that we get to trust Jesus and we learn how to do that together and that we get to bring restoration right now where we are, has a choice attached to it. And to follow Jesus is to choose every day, And so we declare this together as the body of Christ each and every week, and let's do that once again. Today, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. I choose to join Jesus in His resurrection work. Amen? So, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Oh, I love being your pastor and preaching these passages because I get worked over them worked over every week by them Um, and so I'm growing I always feel like I'm about seven minutes ahead of you Um, and so uh, I'm so I'm excited to to speak to you today in Ephesians 3 but I want to make sure that I have permission to speak to you from my heart to yours so can I just pray for us real quick Jesus awaken our souls thank you for worship this morning Thank you that we get to respond to worship with our generosity of time and talent and our finances. Thank you, Jesus, for that worship continues as we lift high your name and preach the gospel, open our ears and our eyes, and awaken our spirits to you. And we say to our own souls, awaken, O my soul. And we just bind up and silence anything opposed to Jesus that's here or bothering us now in Jesus' name. Not today, devil. This is the Lord's day, and Jesus is our risen King. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay. So, we often use a formula in our daily experience that is the opposite of grace. (laughs) And it's built in the fabric of the world, so it's understandable why we use it, and the formula goes like this. Are you ready? Accomplishment precedes acceptance, and achievement precedes approval. Now, ain't nobody tattoos this, or this ain't ever written on like a, you know, HR form, you know? (laughs) We will accept you after you've accomplished things, or we will approve of you after you've achieved things. Um, and, And we don't even say that in our normal language. This is just a way of helping us understand um, what, what, we, what oftentimes happens in our relationships. And, and this could be maybe summarized like this. If you do good, then acceptance will come. More specifically, if you do the good that I want you to do, when I want you to do it, then acceptance will come. Does that make sense? If you do enough... And this is something I say to myself all the time. Now, this isn't something that people only say to us. We say that to our own souls. If I do enough, then I'll approve of myself. If I do it often enough, then acceptance will happen. Now, I'm not referring to like basic straightforward issues like putting on your pants, right? Like, please put on your pants, (laughs) and I approve of you putting on your pants, and we'll accept you gladly um, if you do. Uh, Work hard, be responsible, love well. I'm not talking about what we know about living a good life. I'm talking about what happens in our relationship with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Does that make sense? In relationships... If you do becomes code for I will accept and approve of you if you do. Or In other words, your loveliness, your worth, your standing is conditional. Does that make sense? I asked my friend, an architect, um, about how her business was going. She said, good. Uh, we're busy. We need to work hard during these good times. Make hay while the sun is shining. And I said, so... What does that mean?" She's like, just got to put in the long hours and make it happen, and it's a really exciting opportunity. And I said to her, well, so what happens when, when the sun isn't shining and you don't have that many opportunities? What do you do then? And she said, we, we work harder. <laughs> and I said, so the equation is if it's really good, you work harder, and if it's really bad, you work harder? And I asked her, so when do you know that's enough? And that's when she started to cry. It's like, if you just work hard, you'll be enough. But the reality is that that equation, it never works. I heard one person say, don't give 110%. Give 120%. (laughs) Like, it's even possible to give 100% for longer than 11 milliseconds. Right? Please understand, I'm not saying not to work hard. Work hard. I'm saying that in our relationship with our own heart, we tie our worth. Let Let me rephrase this. In my relationship with my own heart, I tie my worth and my approval to working really hard and trying really hard And then what happens if I fail? What happens if these people in my life still struggle, still suffer, still go through hard times? What if I can't help them or relieve things for them or make things better for them, then what? Well, I then crush myself with failure. And maybe you've been in a relationship or you're in a work environment or a home environment where you get crushed. Right? If I don't live up to her expectations, she'll take away love. If you refuse to give us what, you want, what we want, then we'll yell and scream at you until, until you do. Though if you don't give 130%, then we'll fire you and find someone who will. Or if you don't raise your kids just right, they'll resent you and then sue you to pay for their college, which is literally a law in New Jersey that happens now. A child won a case, not a child, a 21-year-old girl won a case. Yeah, cover her ears. <laughs> Levi, just go like this, la-la-la-la-la, right? Uh, she sued her parents for not paying for her college, and she won. Yeah, that's why we left New Jersey. <laughs> California, you're on your own, son. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do, right? If the equation is to work harder, but then we can't, we can't do it, or that we feel like our acceptance or our loveliness or our worth or our approval is tied to just being perfect all the time or working so hard all the time, what happens when we fail? Well, I can't show you that. Otherwise, then I'd be a failure, right? So what do I do? Ah, I create a map. A beautiful, presentable, perfect Christian mask, (laughs) and I curate that mask, and I work on that mask. How are you, Andy? I'm fine. I'm good. Praise the Lord. (laughs) How's it go? I'm too blessed to be distressed, right? (laughs) Our mask always performs, always accomplishes, is always put together, and that's why, in the words of my so-called friends at the previous church that that I was forced out of because I wasn't very good, they said, it's true, uh, they said, perception is everything. That's another form of that equation that I talked about. The only problem with that is that if I'm trying to live for other people's perception of me by wearing a mask, what happens when I succeed? And you're really good at succeeding. You live on the Central Coast. You escaped Bakersfield, right? You escaped, you know, LA or San Jose or wherever. All of us refugees, right? (laughs) We worked so hard, right, and we did it, and we made it, and now we're here, and what happens? Where does all the success land? It lands on our mask, and our mask can't feel diddly squat. It's a mask. But it's fragile, too. So any criticism we take off and we take the hit, And in the acceptance, we put on, and we never feel it. Man, I'm really good at a mask. I spent decades curating my mask. I'm learning how to let it down and break it and not make it. But I'm not perfect. In other words, the mask gets the love, and I take the hurt so the mask doesn't break. This is the context of Ephesians because this was Paul's life before he met Jesus. He knew every step of performing and trying to be perfect and never feeling like he was enough, of wearing and sustaining that perfect, perfect, curated, holy, hard-working, high-performing mask. And then Jesus broke that mask in one instant when he knocked him off his high horse, literally. 14 years it took Paul to rewire your brain. Please be patient with yourself. Please be patient with yourself. Please be kind to yourself in this process. 14 years. So in the first chapters to his letters to his friends in Ephesus, Paul hammers home every lesson that he learned in his wilderness of 14 years in the furnace of God's love and transformation. You're loved right now. You've been chosen long ago. God already had a destiny, a destination set out for you, and his will's gonna be done in your life because he chose you before you ever chose him. There's no if you do's that are put before God's love. And when you hated God, when you were not performing well, when you were totally messing up on the inside, had a mask on the outside, hiding everything from God, God still loves you, still chooses you, still pours out His mercy and grace in your life because you're His. It's all grace all the time. That's the first two chapters of Ephesians. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Read this with me. Grace is one-way love. God's grace doesn't make demands. God gives His grace and love to us free of charge. Thus, therefore, Paul writes to his friends and he says this. Read this with me. For this reason, I, Paul, The prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. He's lived with these people for two years. They all know his story. What is Paul referring to? He's like, hey, do you guys remember when I told you the story about how I got knocked off my high horse? Remember? Remember? Remember how I told you that I was the one who killed Christians for bounty points? Remember, I thought God and his people would be contaminated by unholy, unclean, sinful, broken people like y'all. Like you all. Like here in this church, you all. And Paul says, I would never imagine that God would enter my unholy, unclean, broken, and sinful life and bear it all so I could be His. Never. I thought I had to be perfect and have it all together. Competent, efficient. That's a man word. Efficient. May do all the things quickly, cheaply. And if it doesn't work, I'll just use force. This is the mystery made known to Paul, that Paul would have never understood on his own that even after causing Jesus pain, hear me now, that even after causing Jesus himself pain, because what does Jesus say when he shows up to Paul and reveals himself and knocks him off his high horse? It's a blinding light. Paul says, who are you? He says, Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting that all of the pain that Christ followers felt, Jesus felt because Jesus is with us, in us. Did you know that? Zed prayed that. Every pain you feel right now, he feels. Every ache in your body, every agony in your soul, every heartache, every joy, He feels. He's with you. He bears it with you now. Now. And Paul looks at Jesus, the God of the universe, and he thinks, if I've killed the people that you've died for, then I should die. And Jesus says, no, I'll bear it for you and save you instead. This is our story. Go back to the verse, Chris. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. I love that phrase. Why? Because it's so, like, bureaucratic or technical. But really, what happened? Paul was riding his horse to Syria. And how did the administration of God's grace happen? Right? Like we'll do Monty Python. Right? Here I go to kill the Christians, the Christians. Here I go to kill the Christians. And then an angel, pow launched him off his horse. The risen king, Jesus, shines so brightly that Paul is blinded. All the scales of his religiosity and resentment and hatred are all thickened and made opaque in an instant. That's the administration of God's grace. Has God ever administered grace to you? Has God ever kicked your, I mean, you know, given you grace? Has He ever done that to you? He has for me. I've been fired, lost tens of thousands of dollars, lost relationship, destroyed my body, and still didn't listen to Jesus. And then Jesus (laughs) administered His grace to me. Right? By the way, you are never allowed to use this in disciplining your children or yelling at your spouse, I'm going to minister some grace to you now, boy. Right? You cannot do that. That's not, that's not okay. All right? Right? Not going to work. No. I'm going to show you some grace. Come here. Right? That's not how it works. Right? <laughs> so here I am trying to be perfect. Trying to be this perfect pastor And my son has a stroke in the womb And I realized he's never going to be able to do anything with his life He's never going to be able to be enough Like I'm trying to be enough God didn't give Jonah a stroke Strokes happen I have an 18 year old It was amazing, but he's never going to not be potty drained. He's still going to need care 24 hours a day. And in the middle of that, the administration of God's grace was, Andy, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Just like I love Jonah right where he's at. This amazing pain has been revealed in my marriage. ways I've been really deeply hurt. In the middle of all that, I could perform and pretend like everything's fine. (laughs) Then all of you, when you say, I'm really struggling in my marriage, I'd be like, hey, just be like us. You know, just pretend everything's fine. (laughs) Don't share with anybody the heartache that you have. No, that's not going to work. So as all that pain has come up, the administration of God's grace has been to me. Andy, stop pretending. Put down the mask. Jesus has been gracious enough to help me learn my worth and unlearn my own codependency. I don't know why. Maybe maybe pain is like it helps us finally listen now the administration of god's grace does not require pain you could just listen <laughs> Too easy. Too easy. like god's talking all the time to us right he's like hey stop that or hey do this or hey go this way or do you really want this in your life and we're like huh you know I'm gonna just do my thing until I like crash my life on the rocks of consequences. And I'm like, okay, right? It's like that. I don't, I'm gonna get I'm gonna tell you a confession. The Chris Farley movie Tommy Boy is one of my favorites. And in that, very, uh, you know, doctors have morbid senses of humor. Pastors have immoral senses of humor. Okay, it's just part of the occupational hair. Uh, you know, hazards. But at one point, Tommy, Tommy Boy, Chris Farley, gets hit across the face with a two-by-four and he goes, it doesn't really hurt here or here, just mainly right here. And, um, and, and that's how I have felt with my life sometimes, where God, in the middle of all my pain, and the two-by-four doesn't come from God. It comes from my choices or from a broken world, right? God ain't hitting me with the two-by-four in order to make me listen, that two by four comes from my own hand. Or from somebody else, and it's their free will. But no matter what, it happens that way. Okay? And in that moment, God says to me, I'm here. I've never left you. There's never been a day when I haven't been here. You're not too much. You're not too little. You're not undeserving. You're not a burden. You're not whatever it is that you would say that would separate you from God's love. You're not toxic, you're not tainted, you're not too far gone. No. God wants to guide you because he hears you, because he's with you, because he loves you. To give you good gifts that you could never earn on your own, that's grace. That's the administration of grace. So Paul continues. Read with me. So Paul says, in reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, But right? Can you get why Paul now understands the mystery of Jesus, that the, the, the one who murdered Christians is now forgiven? by the one who was murdered by his own people that is the Messiah. The long-awaited Jewish Messiah was killed by the Jews themselves. This is my story. The very help that I'm so desperate to receive from God, I won't accept. This is the mystery, but God keeps on coming towards me with grace. Verse 5 into the mystery of Christ, read with me, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. Man, God enters into my pain. Jesus enters into my pain, suffers with me, for me, and delivers me at his own cost. But if we're performing... When we have our mask on, what do we think about people in pain? Well, they've made mistakes, dummies. I mean, they wouldn't be in so much pain if they just didn't make mistakes. So they deserve their pain, not me. I'm fantastic. (laughs) But grace isn't given. We think with our mask on to beggars and drunks and tax collectors and theologically wrong people, right? That's what the mask says. No, man, that's not true. God's grace is given to the desperate. And when we spent decades curating and refining our masks so that we can receive good things, this feels appalling. I've done all the right things for all this time so I could get that parking spot in Trader Joe's and they get it? Pastor said the church is behind. I gave money. They didn't give diddly squat and they get blessed? That's wrong. That's not fair. Grace isn't fair. Every apostle didn't earn grace. As Robert Capon, the theologian, writes, God's grace and love work without requiring anything on our part. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free to, read with me, us. us. Our money's no good mm. with Jesus. Grace is Jesus taking care of the bill. Mm. It's free to us and it's cost him everything. And he's glad to give it to you. Glad, Jesus gladly suffers with you. Gladly is present with you right now, even when I ignore him. Gladly buries the weight that I carry right now with me. Gladly takes the hurt that I'm experiencing right now. So what's the consequence? What does this mean? If there's no more performance because Jesus already earned it all, if there's no more striving because Jesus already paid it all, if there's no more condemnation because Jesus bled for it all in our place, what does this mean for our relationships with each other? Paul then declares this, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means that all those outsiders are now insiders, and all there's left is love. That's it. Unity, connection, hope. For those of us who in this room who feel disqualified, you're qualified. For those in this room who've been working so hard to be qualified, you're qualified. (laughs) For those who feel far away, hogwash. You're near. For those who feel all self-righteous in your nearness, you're still near. We've been included in an inheritance we did not earn. 2007, Portugal. Uh, There's an aristocrat. Uh, We don't have aristocrats in in America. Uh, We just have capitalists. Um, And... uh, But in Europe, old, 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 old money, right? Like they own the castles and stuff, right? Aristocrats. Portuguese aristocrats. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars to his name. He decides to give a little bit of money to his children, but not much. The vast majority he gave to total strangers. He shows up to his lawyer's office. He says, I want to give 30 people that I do not know the vast bulk of my inheritance. The lawyer says, you're crazy. The aristocrat says, I'm an aristocrat. Of course I'm crazy. So literally, they opened up the Portuguese, the the phone book in Portugal, right, in Lisbon, Portugal, and they picked out 30 names at random, right? I don't know why the guy had a premonition, but like six weeks later, he did, okay? He was only in his 40s. He's dead, okay? So the lawyer's tracking down people, right, right? By the way, if a Kenyan prince calls me after you go, <laughs> I ain't giving them no money, okay? All right, all right, Kelly? But literally, the, Portug- the, the, the Portuguese aristocrat's like, um, lawyer's like, hey, excuse me, a Portuguese aristocrat, we're just gonna need your routing number. There's like a million, but all of them were like, yeah, whatever, nah. It took them months to track everybody down, but they finally did and gave them all a lot of money. Random people. But that's not quite what it's like to be an inheritor of an inheritance we didn't earn, right? Because we're not just chosen at random by God. It's not like there was a bulk sale on Californians, and we all like got included in that when Jesus bought us, right? That's not... Like, we're individually known. It's more like those two brothers, Zolt and Giza Paladi. Two brothers lived in Budapest, Hungary. This is... Eight years ago? Eight years ago. They're homeless living in the cave outside Budapest. Why? They had spent the majority of their life from when they were about 13 years old living on the streets because their mother completely abandoned them. That's more like us. All of us find ourselves impoverished and orphaned by our rebellion. Yeah? And for all of those of you who try really, really hard and you've curated your mask for a long time, you want to say, no, that's not me. Wrong! It's you. Yes? Yes. Say yes with me. Yes? Great. Social workers tracked down the two brothers to inform them that their grandmother, whom they've never met because their mother was off a rocker, had left them 100 million euros between the two of them. Now, God doesn't send social workers. Well, maybe sometimes he does. But God also sends angels to you. He sends his spirit to you. He sends fellow heirs to you to tell us the good news that we, too, are included in this glorious inheritance in the state that Jesus earned on our behalf and is ours now. We're one. One, connected, united by the Spirit, recipients of a mystery so glorious that God wants to give us more than we could ever hope or imagine. So, let me ask you a question. When one of us starts acting like an orphan again, can you have compassion on them? Because we can be pretty crunchy sometimes, right? Be an overdone crisp, right? We're like, back off, right? And we're like kind of sharp around the edges. When one of us like isolates and goes in the corner, I shouldn't be here anymore. I just don't belong. Can't we all understand that feeling? And just go, no, 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 no. You're here. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. I had to confront a friend this week. Jesus told me to be gentle, so I was. The result was amazing. Healing, love, connection, unity. I got confronted this week. They were gentle. The result was amazing. Healing, love, connection, unity. So now what do we do? If all there is left is just love, Paul then shows us our next step. Verse 7, read with me. I became a servant. Stop. That's it. I became a servant, a slave, he says. Became a servant and a slave with an inheritance. I became one who just laid my life down for the sake of other people. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Like we all want the power that Paul had, had, right? Like when we talk, people listen. You want that? Every mother wants that power (laughs) with their children, right? Listen, 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 right? Every man wants that power with his peers, right? Oh, let me see some erudite things here. Tell you how this works. Everybody goes, oh, really? We all want that. Paul had that. We all want the power Paul had when he prayed, right? I mean, he's blowing snot into a rag. People are like, I'm healed. He's Giving away his handkerchiefs, right? Like he's laying hands on people. They're coming back to life. They're being raised from the dead, right? Paul's hanging out with his friends in Thessalonica, preaching way too long like I am this morning. Somebody falls asleep out the window, dead. Paul's like, ah, be healed in Jesus' name. (gasps) like. We want that, yeah? Yeah? But all of these gifts and all of the power of God comes through Paul's sacrifice and his suffering. Paul was in constant need, limped with broken bones, smiled with knocked out teeth, lived with back, marred with scars, changed not for the worse but for the better during his time in prison. The author of two-thirds in the New Testament was a convicted felon. The mystery of God is that when we sacrifice for people, the power of God flows through us. So are you willing to be right and gentle? I mean, you're still going to be right. But could you just be gentle? Gentle. Are you willing to give up your TV show for theirs? It's not a big sacrifice, but Lord, sometimes it is. Are you willing to give up your schedule for theirs? Are you willing to accept that there's some things that you can't fix about them, but there's some things that you can? Are you willing to invest your money in the kingdom of God? Are you willing to volunteer to help to be a part of this salvation that's breaking out in this place? Now, I'm willing, and I know you're willing. That's why you're here. And Olskor, our mask says, ooh, I'll, I'm willing too. <laughs> but then I don't. So why don't I? Why, why don't I? And this is where I just got wrecked this week. I wrote this whole sermon this week. Right? Putting down our masks, and not trying so hard, and accepting the love of God. And guess what I did all week long? <laughs> I tried so hard, and I put on my mask, and I tried really, really hard. And all of that is just my self ambition. It's all me trying to be enough for everybody and everything at all at the times. And saying, oh, you know. I don't want to lay it all down because I'm afraid, I'm afraid that if I lay it all down that there won't be anything left. And that's the nature of sacrifice. When you sacrifice something, it costs you. The reward is on the other side, but you have to experience the cost first. But I don't want that, why? Because I'm selfish, self-ambitious, entitled little twit, that's why. I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna take up my cross as long as it doesn't cost me, as long as I can <laughs> wake up when I want, as long as I have everything my way, as long as, I, as, long as I'm always comfortable, then it it's like there's no cost because there's no sacrifice because I want all the guarantees. It's like I wanna be resurrected first and then I'll die. <laughs> it don't work that way. You got to die first, then you get raised. There's a cost, there's a sacrifice. When you sacrifice and you give your life for the sake of other people and also surrender to them to Jesus at the exact same time and not in control of the outcomes and trust what God has to give you will be more than enough. Always, 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 always. Paul writes, although I am less than least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach. To all the broken, messed up, not right, far away, disqualified, have no right to be here Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mercy, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. There's no more need for mask for Paul. He can just say, Look, I, I tried to keep everybody away. I, I tried to keep every Gentile away, and now I'm trying to bring every Gentile in. try and keep every broken, messed up part of my life away and not share any of it with you or anybody else. It don't work. I need every part of my heart to hear the boundless riches of God's grace, and I want every person who never feels like it could show up to a church to show up here and feel at home. And it's happening. Then Paul just, I don't know why he does this all the time, but then he just ends with like this triumphant, glorious, amazing, (laughs) butt-kicking administration of God's grace verse. Here it is, 10, 11, and 12. Are you ready? Read this with me. His intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is what's crazy. Every story, every part of your heartache, every part of your grief, every part of your problems, every all the good things, all the difficult things, all the boring things in your life has been woven together in this amazing tapestry that when God looks down and angels and even demons look down on your life, they'll say, oh my gosh. They get to be near. They get to approach God with all the confidence in the world. That's who you are. That's who we are. And that's what this church is. Every single person has a right to approach God only because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you say to pray without ceasing. Thank you that we only need a whisper, you're that close. Jesus, you say you love me no matter what. Thank you that we can be honest. Bless and seal all the good things that have been spoken to and sung into the souls of my friends here this morning. I pray against the enemy's attempts to steal and rob and destroy them now in Jesus' name. I pray your blessing upon them all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry I went went up a little bit late. Um, We have amazing food for you. Uh, Would you stand and receive the benediction? Come join us for table talk across the street if you want to talk and pray this message into your bones. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding. And all God's people said? Take care, you guys. Have a good day.
0: Pastor Andy Rock is the Senior Pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.